Welcome to The Sale Ring, a podcast dedicated to real estate brokers, agents, and America's top auctioneers that keep the markets moving. Join your hosts, Sean and Trina, as they talk with most successful realtors, marketing and technology experts, investors, and influencers. This show is devoted to all industry professionals looking to up their game and stay up to date. Welcome to The Sale Ring. Trina and I have talked several times. That's that's like the longest intro in podcast history. And we like awards. The sale ring. The sale ring. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're recording. I didn't know if you were aware of that. <clears throat> I've got um, Jimmy Dean Coffee. Good friend, fellow auctioneer. I want everybody to know he... Did just say, good friend. And fellow auctioneer. Heard that too. Yeah. We uh, were absent Trina uh, right now. She's decided to cut out early a half day today. So I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what her deal is. You know, we're in here at 5, 30, yeah. 6 o'clock at night working, and we look up, and she's just gone. Yeah, 618, here we sit. She's nowhere to be found. So what do you do? You break the whiskey out and you have a podcast show. You just right, just say, hey, let's go do a podcast. Podcast show. We need a podcast. So what? Uh, there's bound to be some information come out of this. What we're going to talk about is um, just a, a day in the life of the auctioneer. <clears throat> We've had um, a somewhat eventful day. Jimmy uh, joined us in Kansas City. And in the course of doing that, we had a few appointments set up. I said, "Hey, you know, come come with us to these appointments." Well, it's was, always was it's that always a training exercise. Was you wanting to learn? Yeah, no, was it was what? a training exercise for me. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's always interesting because you know they do things differently in Indiana. Um, auctions are not excluded from that. They uh, they do. They're just different. They're just you know. I don't like to use the word backwards. I think that could be derogatory, but it's uh, it's just different. My wife, Phyllis, you know Phyllis. I mean, she gets on to me if I say somebody's weird or looks funny. And she said, different. They're different. They're different. Jimmy, they're different. And Jimmy says they so damn Indiana's, sure are. Indiana's not weird. <laughs> it's just different. It's different. <laughs> well, we had a good day, so let's talk about, um, <clears throat> and I think there's a learning objective. We are... Most of the time in this business, uh, unless you're just solely personal property and you run an auction house or uh, an auction uh, building or barn where people are bringing merchandise in or you sell consignment items, we're after real estate. We're a real estate company that sells personal property, but the name of the game is we're after real estate. So the first call that we received uh, was uh, from a probate and uh, we went out and, uh, no, scratch that. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of a different project. It, it's not a probate. It's actually a gentleman that's moving out of the country. And he has items that he wants to sell uh, that he can't take or won't take with him. And in the course of that, we said, well, what are you going to do with the home? You know, we, we want to sell the house. And uh, we're still negotiating on that. We're still trying to get in line. He's thought about renting it. He's thought about selling it, but uh, ultimately, we would love to. Uh, you know, we would 
we would love to uh, be able to market that home for him. You know, the, the counsel that I that I did give him. Can you imagine being a long distance landlord from where he's going to be? That would be mighty difficult. Yeah, he's talking about moving not out of the country, like to a different state, out of the United States. I don't. I don't think I'd want to be if I'm if I'm moving there and and liquidating all assets like he's like this gentleman's talking about. I wouldn't want to leave a a rental property here in my home that I lived in. I don't think that's what I'd want to do. Sometimes that is the the first inclination of somebody that's never owned rental properties. Yeah. They can be tough whenever they're just down the street. And in today's market, his house has never been worth what it is today. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but today it is hot. We know that. And as much as we want to sell it, you know, that's a decision that every homeowner's got to make because there's uh, there is residual income to be made from rental properties. That's that's fair. You have to uh, sometimes put up with the trials and tribulations of uh, rental ownership, the the position of the landlord, which um, even if you have um, <clears throat> you have somebody layered in between you, like a management company that takes care of the management. There are things that you're going to get calls. I own I own rental properties, and I have a management company that calls once in a while and said, "Hey, we need a new garage door." They back through it, or we need a dishwasher, or they, you know, the hot water tank went out. We've got to replace it, and I need your authorization to do X. <laughs> One of mine, they said, um, they're not supposed to have dogs in here. <laughs> That's never a good sign you know you're going to get there and guess what you're going to find i went to one of your properties where there was a there was a dog there was um yeah yeah it was that great big dog at that, the end of that by that cul-de-sac yeah. you remember going over and you yeah, kind of yeah. drove down the alley and looked at yeah. the guy in the backyard and it's like what are you doing you're not supposed to have that dog here it's that dog that better be a stray it is too well are all three of them strays yeah <laughs> and why are they going in and out yeah. the back door yeah I'm glad you're taking care of the, the the neighborhood strays. Exactly. Now, the rental business is interesting. Uh, we looked at the personal property, and here's the reality. That market is brutal. Tough. Brutal. It's tough, too. Yeah. Brutal and tough. But but he had a few items there that's got a great market. He did. He did. So and His furniture was beautiful. Great furniture. Well kept. But brutal. The market will be brutal on that. And and I think you owe somebody like that frank conversation. Because a lot of times auctioneers are scared, you know, or nervous. that They want to secure the deal. I would rather turn the deal down than not set expectations up front where somebody's paid $3,000 for a bedroom suit and say it's probably going to bring 300 bucks tops, three to 400. Um, That's a gut punch, but it's also honesty. You know, know, know kind of what your limitations are and, you know, treat that client correctly. It's a whole lot easier to have that conversation there today than it would be at the end of the auction. Explain to him, well, we knew it wouldn't do any good. We, why didn't you tell me that? I may not have had the auction had yeah. you told me that. Right. And sometimes that's why an auctioneer is reluctant to tell them that. They're, they want the auction. They want the deal. Learning objective number one, don't be so desperate to get the deal that you're not forthcoming with 
clarity and setting reasonable expectations with that client. If you're not willing to do that, then, um, you know, this may not be the right industry. This may not be the right business because it's not fair to people to do that. I had a consult with uh, with an, an office a couple of weeks ago, and I had that very conversation. They they want to have a real estate auction. This this particular office is uh, is a traditional real estate office, but they want to have a real estate auction. And they brought two auction properties, two properties to the table, and they said, "Jimmy Dean, we think these are perfect. We think these are perfect." And and looking into it, me and helping uh, helping them look over that project, I said, you don't need an auction. You need a win. You need a property that will sell. And let's don't just try to run through the, uh, the, the process just to say you had a real, had an auction. And that goes back to your point there. You know, an auctioneer doesn't have to have an auction if it's not sellable. If it's not sellable, it's a waste of your time. You have to value your time at some point and, if you're going to expend that kind of ammo, if you're going to go out and, and put time and equity and, and money into somebody's project, you need to be willing and, and able to collect a check out of the back end of it. If the property's not going to sell and there's no check there, be forthcoming. Just be honest. And we, uh, you know, we used to say in real estate for about every 10 clients, and, and this is real estate auctions, about every 10 clients that come in the door or that talk to you about having an auction maybe seven or eight of those you can actually qualify for an auction. The other ones, they've got property that's been on the market for a long time. Nothing else is working. They want to try an auction, but it's overpriced. Uh, There's people that they get in a hurry. They want to have an auction, but they don't actually have title or the probate's not settled or something's going on. But those two or three people that you can find are diamonds in the rough. Well, guess what? The same thing applies to personal property. You go out and look at 10 different calls on personal property, there's going to be a significant number of those that don't have enough stuff. They do not have enough assets in their house to even pay the marketing budget. When you're being realistic about pricing expectations, don't take that auction. You know. But here's the one thing I would coach you on, and Jimmy, you may agree with this. Always have a solution for people in your pocket. You know, our job as auctioneers is we solve problems. And when you can't solve the problem, have another solution for them to go to. Because people are desperate. They'll appreciate it. And I can promise you that I have business from people that I did not help whenever we first met with them. But I was very helpful, Mm -hmm. even though our auction company was not the right solution. I was very helpful with them. And they came back to me at a later date and did business with me. Yeah. Whether that be a real estate dealing, whether that be an auction, no, no telling what you're gonna you're gonna get returns on that. Less Guarantee that's it. lesson number two. Guarantee it. We uh, we talk about solving problems. I I think that's I've I've preached that in our office all the time. You know, you can call us realtors, you can call us auctioneers, you can call us marketeers, whatever, but we're problem solvers. Any time we have the opportunity to visit with uh, a would-be seller, they may not think of it as a problem, but more times than not, it's it's a problem. Maybe they call us and say, hey, we want to sell our house and uh, move into something bigger. What's their problem? They've outgrown that house, usually. Or their pocketbook 
has outgrown that lifestyle. Both are types of problems. May not be severe problems, but they are problems. So we are problem solvers. Absolutely. And if you're an auctioneer listening to this podcast, some of you may question, I've had auctioneers say, well, why do I want to focus on personal property at all? Personal property will generate the call. That's normally the problem that Jimmy's alluding to is they, they sometimes have assets. They don't know how to market those. Once you go in the door and you build rapport with them and you're offering some advice and some consult and some solutions, you ease into that conversation. Folks, what are you going to do at the home? And that's the target. That's what you're after. But what generated the call, what generated the lead is the personal property. You want to make sure that doesn't get, uh, doesn't get lost in, in translation. Because if you're just solely focused on real estate all the time, you're going to get less calls. And that's more, exactly more often than not the personal property. There's more personal property problems and opportunities to solve that than there is real estate problems. Absolutely. And, and that's what happened today. That's exactly right. We, we had no idea that the real estate was ever going to be a, a, an opportunity even, but, and we don't know yet if it will, but we at least had that conversation. We at we least had, had the conversation. We've, we've at least had our opportunity to get in the door and talk to them about it. So we're looking at the personal property. We go in the basement. We go upstairs. You know, there's um, the furniture's nice, but there's, um, there's not a lot of it. It's, it's, it's going to be, you know, for the sellable items in, in that property, there's going to be, I, I don't know, 40 lots. You know, there's 30, 40 lots in that house. And but clean, clean, clean. Very clean, very nice. Um, here's the people I want to thank for, uh, for contributing to the decline of the resale market in the auction business. Is thank you, Costco. Thank you, Amazon and Sam's and Walmart. Um, why would people go stand in the sun and buy a three or $400 flat panel TV, a flat screen TV, when you can go to Costco and buy one for $400 and get a warranty on it. Brand that, new. That's, that's bigger. And newer technology. That's newer technology, and you can carry it out of there yourself. It's, it's a featherweight, right? So they have gotten the price down on consumer electronics and furniture and merchandise to the point where everything the resale market on vases and plates and glasses and, and furniture and TVs, and it's, uh, it, it is not nearly as good as it used to be. 10 years ago. Well, Sean, you remember when we, uh, you and I both have been doing this well over 30 years and, uh, back, back when we cut our, that's teeth. each, by the way, that's not combined. Yeah, no, that's each. That's, uh, clear clarification, real, real close to 70 years combined. Yeah. Um, but anyway, put that on your business card. You bet. It'll fit right there in the bottom right hand corner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, back then it was something for us to have tools. You know, I can't, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sold axes and shovels and wrenches and screwdrivers and this and that. Well, today you can go to any Lowe's, Harbor Freight, any of those big box stores and buy that stuff by the box loads, and that has just killed the market on any of the resale stuff. It has. Every time we see that stuff, here's what we think. Exactly what we yeah. think. But once again, we have a chance to go in and to look at uh, to look at the house and to look at the farm and to look at the commercial property. 
Um, and that's where, you know, that's where our target is. Now, the one thing we're pleasantly surprised about today is the person that we were talking to had a couple of um, vintage automobiles. One of them uh, he's putting back together right now. He's very talented. Absolutely. Yeah, clearly knows what he's doing. Um, he's got uh, he's got a mid sixties, you know, car, sports car, and uh, he's he's got um, he's got an old driver car. He's got a driver car. That's pretty cool. That's pretty clean. Real clean. Yeah. So those things added into the mix. Here's where an auctioneer can be agile. Those whirly, <coughs> whirly, whirly bird. Those really weren't what he had called us to look at. It was more the household furnishing stuff. While we were in the garage, we said, those would make great auction items. There's market demand for those type of items. There's a couple other things in the house he hadn't considered putting in the auction. We said, those, you know, things like firearms, those would make a great auction item. A lot of pent-up demand out there, a lot of market demand for those. So now all of a sudden we're building that auction. We're looking around and said, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with this? It's not just about the real estate. It's what are you going to do with the sellable items? I want to talk to you about those too because they can drive a wider audience. So, Sean, let me bring, let me ask this. And it, I guess I don't understand this, but it was clear that he hadn't thought about selling those items at auction. I wonder why. I think it's I think it's education. You know, a lot of it is I, I think people don't really consider the competitive bid process as a way to maximize value. It's more of a liquidation strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to some point, he's kind of right when you get into the furniture because we, we kind of beat on him just a little bit about this is going to be tough to sell. We're going to make it go away. Because it's not as marketable as some of those other items. The items that are easier for people to sell on Craigslist, on Facebook Marketplace, on, you know, putting cars up on Auto Trader or whatever, and they know that they can kind of, they understand the product and they can kind of market those themselves, they don't really see those as a viable asset for a competitive, for an auction, because they're not thinking about the competitive bid process, they're thinking more about the liquidation element. Does that well, make sense? It absolutely makes sense. I mean, it's it's a lifelong battle, as I said. I've been in this for uh, almost 38 years, and it's a battle that we have fought for that entire time and probably prior to me is changing the consumer mindset about the competitive bid process of an auction. They are so entrenched in fire sale, liquidation, foreclosure, the bad stuff. They do not think about the auction first mentality. Where did they sell Princess Di's dress? At auction. Why? Because they wanted to get the top dollar for it. Where did they sell that big blue diamond that I saw on TV last week that sold for $54 million or whatever it was? I know. At auction? At auction. Good, good, good. Thank you. Sean, you're catching on. I'm paying attention. You are? You know, and, and that's just the that's the world we live in. They don't think about selling auction first. I can t- I can tell you this: a very good friend of mine who builds retro mod Corvettes. I know where he takes his car. Yeah, every time I've met that cat. By the yeah. way, I mean he builds a beautiful car. He's a top shelf builder. I had dinner with him uh, Saturday evening. And this year, his car sold. One of his cars sold for six hundred fifty thousand dollars. Would have he, would have he ever priced it at that? 
No. No. Who bought dinner? Uh, another friend of ours. <laughs> okay. Worked out fine. So he's thrifty also. I like he it. He is. No, he's tight. <laughs> <laughs> he's not thrifty. He's, he's no. tight. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Now, that guy builds a beautiful car. That's one of the top show cars to go through that car auction. Yeah. Think of one of the largest car auctions in America. That guy's a premier seller. They'll carry his car around the country for months ahead of those sales out there just showcasing it. Yeah, he's in their top two or three seller list. And uh, But back to my point, where does he take that car? Yeah, to auction, an auction. Auction first. That is, that. so that is, it's stigmatized. You know, if you remember back in, in 2007, you know, things have way overappreciated. And in 2008, the market started to collapse. And by 2009, end of 08, going into nine, a lot of REO or bank-owned property, a lot of foreclosures over the next three, three years, three and a half years, start hitting the floor. And there's these ballroom auctions with um, several companies. We, we won't name the companies, but they'll come into the city and they'll sell... 250 homes selling this day, you know, at at the Civic Center in Kansas City or Dallas, Texas, 650 homes selling in a two-day event. And those are, and there's strategies behind those because the strategy is to get as many butts in the seats as they can because they have to put a show on and they have to show that they've driven the market in numbers to those bank representatives sitting in the audience or watching that and say, well, that's less than we wanted, but you got, you you got 250 people here, go ahead and sell the property or 400 people here, sell the property. So they're given the illusion of fire sales, you know, $200,000 home has an opening bid of $12,000 or $20,000. And you're thinking, how in the world can they sell that? Well, they're not, they're not going to sell that home for 12 or 20,000, but they're training the market that, it may be possible. You know, they're, they're giving them a little bit of an incentive. It's an inducement to come to the auction and to participate in the hopes that the competitive bid gets up to a certain price. What we've really done is we've trained the consumer that an auction is a fire sale, is a liquidation sale. That dates back to way before me. Yeah. We've done that. The foreclosures. Yep. Um, the... Uh, was it RECD, RECD days back in R-E-D-C? the REDC days in, back in the 80s? <clears throat> yep. I mean, they were going all over the country, pulling those savings and loan uh, programs out of, out, of, uh, out of Hawk, selling all those farms. Yeah. Terrible. It is. It is. And the amount of money and marketing that's put into mass marketing to the consumers when that's going on. I have not seen this since um, we went back to even keel. So you have absorption rates, you got a lot of inventory, and all of a sudden the inventory subsides. And at the time that was going on, for the first time in many, many years, I would see on daytime and evening television in Kansas City, huge ballroom auction, 650 homes mm-hmm. being sold at the Kansas City Convention Center, homes being sold for pennies on the dollar, you know, show up and so they're marketing to all of those consumers and hitting millions and millions of eyeballs during that period of time, mm-hmm. which is great. But where's the marketing about accelerating the value of a home or hard-to-value, high-demand properties being sold at auction? Because there's – what did you say today? You were telling me a story from – so we're driving around. We had another appointment we'll talk about here in a minute. We looked at a commercial building, and that worked out well today. 
Jimmy said, you know, just a few years ago, I'm looking at a $400,000 property. We've listed it or took that listing at over $600,000. And how many offers did you just opened it up? Opened up today at 10 a.m. Yeah. Before dark, we had seven showings, two showings tomorrow. And we have, we have set, the, uh, set the rules up for the offers for this property because we knew we would be in a multiple offer situation. Well, <laughs> we'll talk about that later, but what is a multiple offer situation? Yeah, it's an auction. It's an auction. Thank any, you. Any way you want to look at it. And that's what the real real estate professionals are doing today is these multi. But we set the, we set the rules up. Um, they call them offer rules, rules to the offering. Is what they call the them. rules of engagement. But we've always called them the terms and conditions <clears throat> because we're auctioneers. Because we're auctioneers. Anyway, and uh, we've got oh, two or three showings already scheduled tomorrow. We're not going to look at any offers until when, uh, Saturday morning. And we've already talked to two of the agents that said they're going to be provide pr- producing an offer. Would you say seven showings? Seven showings today. All right, so folks, let me recap. This is a property that has not changed in the composition of it that much in the last couple of years. Two years ago, this is a $400,000 property priced over $600,000. The day they open it up, seven offers are coming in the door in less than 24 hours well, seven, on this. Seven showings. Or seven showings. Seven, seven showings, showings are in, coming in the door. In the first five hours. So my point of that is, where's the mass marketing on television for that? You know, there's millions and millions of dollars that's been spent on consumer advertising, talking about fire sales, property selling at auction for pennies on the dollar, distressed distressed properties, property disposition sales, you know, bank-owned properties, selling prices slashed. All of that's going on, just like the Andy Griffith show or The View on TV, millions of eyeballs are seeing it, but yet... Auctions are happening all around us that are bringing 10, 20, sometimes 100% more than the value, the tangible value or appraised value of the property. There is no mass communication or marketing going out about that. That's the reason why people don't consider auctions first. It's exactly the reason. And, and they, don't, they don't even realize the, the, the real estate community doesn't realize that they're holding an auction. I think the auctioneers do a good job of selling it, but we can do a better job in training the real estate community, in training every all of our young fledgling auctioneers and agents coming up under us in our brokerages. Be excited about the auction method of marketing and go out and sell the consumer on the benefits of that if and when it's a viable fit. You know, I think one place, one area of the market that I think the uh, the the auction community has done a fairly good job of of training the sellers and and promoting it is to the farming industry if you look at farmland across the the heartland for sure midwest probably most of you've got any most all of those farmers if they have farmland tillable production farmland to sell auctions the way they're going to go to sell it and they know that it'll top the market that way almost in all those communities why is that well one of the things we've dealt with is you're dealing with fourth and fifth generation auction goers for a lot of those people in rural america their granddads great granddads or even the uh even those generations before They've been going to auctions to buy land, land auctions. They sell their beef cattle or their their lambs or sheep or whatever. They sell those on the um, 
uh, at the livestock market. They raise corn, they raise soybeans, they raise wheat, they sell those on the U.S. Board of Trade, which is an auction. auction. They buy their equipment on companies like Auction Time or Ritchie Brothers or at their hometown auctioneer, their county auctioneer. They buy those in a consignment auction or a resale or a retirement auction. And they sell our equipment. Those communities are trained at auction goers, and it's a little easier jump for them to consider an auction because they've said in them, Day in or weekend and out, and they've seen the benefits of it. And in those farmlands, we've seen it multiple times. That those farmlands will bring 10, 12, 14, 15,000 an acre in times, Sean, that you or I would have never dreamed of pricing them at that. Never. So what did we do? We negotiated those prices. That's right. From the bottom up. Yep. Systematically. Systematically. Auction method of marketing. Folks, I got my good friend Jimmy Dean Coffee in the studio with us. We're going to slip away here from our sponsors. We'll be back in, in just a few more minutes with Jimmy Dean. Ever dream of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to unitedcountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? Unitedcountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com. Over 30,000 farm, recreational, and lifestyle properties are just a click away, helping people find their American dream for over 90 years. We will help you find yours. Log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom. Thinking about selling a real estate investment, but worried about the taxes you'll have to pay? Property owners just like you have solved their tax issue with a Starker Services 1031 exchange. One call could save you a fortune in taxes. Call Starker Services today at 800-332-1031 or visit online at www.starker.com and keep the tax dollars working for you. Are you looking for heavy equipment but unsure where to start? Then you need to check out AuctionTime.com. Buying great equipment has never been easier than bidding online at AuctionTime.com. What are you waiting for? Online auctions are closing every Wednesday. So register and start bidding today. AuctionTime.com. The way to buy heavy equipment. Crude oil, natural gas, coal. Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace. I swear, every time I hear that commercial, I think she's saying mineral marketing and it sounds like there's a d on it trina's brought that up before yeah i don't think that's how it's spelled though no no there is no d <laughs> i can tell you oh wait mineral maybe mineral mineral marketing maybe the land is mineral <laughs> all right so we finished up uh with that personal property and that's i think that's going to turn out beneficial he's super nice guy you know he's making the move we, we're going to help him out um we had to hustle down um, south of downtown Kansas City for a repeat customer, a guy we've worked for before, great guy. He has a commercial property. So let me set this up real quick. 
This commercial property was used as a Christian school. It was an academy or school. It's got an outside play area with some playground equipment on it. It's fenced in. Uh, Those play areas outside are all fenced in. There's 10 classrooms, and every one of those has a bathroom. 10 private bathrooms, 10 classrooms in a rectangle around the perimeter of the building. Uh, so all, all of the classrooms are on the outside walls all the way around. And then in the inside, it's got a large rectangular multi-purpose room. And the reason I'm describing this design to you, Jimmy, I want your input on this too, is um, that's a school that it outgrew itself. Yeah, so, it, was not a, it was not a distressed school by any means. It was a great school. Absolutely, and they loved it there. However, they went um, first through seventh or eighth grade. Those kids all got up into eighth grade. They reached capacity. And they and wanted to stay. They wanted to stay, but they ran out of room. They're ready to move into mm-hmm. high school, and they moved into a bigger facility that would facilitate that. Now we have a vacant building. Here's the question. How do you repurpose that building when it sets? I'm going to complicate it even more. When it sets in a strong residential neighborhood, it is not in a commercial area. It's two, three, maybe four blocks or more away from the commercial setting. It's it's down in, in the housing district. Yeah. What do you and do with it? What's tomorrow look like for that building? Who is the user? You know, we talked about several scenarios. There's uh, There's been a big movement over the past couple of years for um, storage facilities they'll uh, buy up those warehouse or pre-existing buildings and turn them into um, climate controlled buildings to because the climate controlled storage industry is really growing right now huge but will that work in an area like that in a i don't know well, it's interesting. There's some big air conditioning units on it. It was nice and cooled down when we Very were much. in there. So, you know, it's um, it need to be retrofitted a little bit, a little redesigned to it. But I, I could see where that's a possibility. Another thing is because of the playground equipment, the safety, uh, you know, and, and the security, like the fencing around all of that, uh, the way the classrooms are set up individually, and you've got a common area in the middle. Maybe um, like a, a day school or a preschool out there. Yeah, just daycare center. Daycare it, center. It's, it's set up for that. Yeah. Set up for that. Might need a little kitchen work, but uh, other than that, you could, they could almost go in there and go to work. If you get into impoverished areas a little bit, some of these certain areas of um, in and around Kansas City, there's some, I believe, there's some economic assistance, some subsidy out there for daycare facilities, and um, that. You know, that may be a possible solution on this. The other thing that we were thinking about is what about uh, the office space for people that are freelancers now, maybe working out of their home or something, but they want to go in and they want like a cubicle or they want to work in an area where they can rent the office space. Those are becoming more and more popular where you have shared like the copier, the printer, coffee bar, maybe a secretary uh, or administrative assistant in the middle. But you are renting the office space in there instead of paying for the full building. That that may be another solution. Have a shared conference room and that, exactly. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, well, I know. Uh, you know, we kept we when we were out there, we kept going back to the possibility of a daycare, and I th- I think that's a strong strong use. What I was going to say about that a minute ago is, my kids, uh, Krista and Cody, both have children that are in daycare age. And the daycares today have waiting lists. 
Yes, all, sir. All of them. Yeah. And they're, they're profitable. Very profitable. Yeah, they're not afraid this. to charge for daycare today. And unfortunately, these young kids are having to pay it. There's a need for it, too. There's a, there's a call for daycare. There absolutely is. It's a great building. Bones are good in that building. And there's a big area of big parking lot and a larger area to the end for expansion or parking lot expansion, if nothing else. Or maybe playground, bigger playground. Yeah. I think the parking lot to the north, that extra space up there for a building that size, it needs a bigger parking lot. Yeah, Only had about five spaces that were asphalted or concreted in right there on the north side of the building. But then just north of that, they own all the way up to the street to the north, and it had a little bit of gravel up there. That could be improved into expanding that parking area, which would greatly benefit that. But here again, the auction method of marketing is going to provide a solution for your seller, who is a fellow, great guy, but he has a little problem. And he's got a vacant building there that he needs to get rid of. That's right. He has no use for it. That's right. And in certain areas, in fact, in a lot of areas anymore, you know, when it's... um, it's it's vacant and it's not being managed, not being kind of, there's no oversight. You don't want those buildings sitting out there vacant too long. Things start disappearing on them. Um, you know, some of the, um, some of the like heating, cooling units get broke into. I mean, there's, there's various things that are happening with those buildings that just um, can cost a lot of money to repair and replace. And it's obvious he's a sharp guy. I mean, he, he came to you first about doing that. He sees that that property. I think he's a very sharp guy for coming to me first. I didn't mean it quite that way, but maybe I did. But he came to the auction method of marketing first. He knows how to sell that property. He knows that it. He needs it gone in sixty days, and you and we can make that happen. Absolutely. We'll expose it to the market, you know, as best as we know how. So let's talk about that just a little bit. There's a cross street. There, the street runs on the north side of it. Street runs on the east side of the property. So signage. We'll order two four-by-four signs, big custom online auction signs, put one on each street so people that are passing by that can see it. we hit all the adjoining property owners within a certain radius of that and send out a postcard. We have a good amount of commercial brokers that we've worked with in the past. CCIM brokers, which if you're not familiar with CCIM designation, look that up online. It's wonderful. So we'll do a postcard mailing out to them, out to the area businesses. We'll make sure and hit the other schools, daycare facilities, child care facilities, anywhere where we can retrofit this building or make it um, a bigger facility than what they currently have where they've raised uh, they've reached capacity then we got to think of ulterior markets ulterior uses for that building and we got to find those we got to target those people you know do we think it could be an office complex um you know could there be uh, maybe medical facility that's looking for medical space office space could it be a file center could it be Uh, dry storage as jimmy mentioned you know climate controlled storage but we need to make sure and and not leave any of those stones unturned that's one thing that auctioneers are good at and it goes back to that earlier conversation about you know we create the market for our properties we'll create a market where sometimes there's not one we'll manufacture that market and, and just come up with ideas of perspective uses and kind of start getting those those thoughts running through investors and people's like yeah, that kind of makes sense. Uh, 
I think I'd be interested in it for that. Sean, I've got a good friend of mine, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a very good friend of mine that you know him well, Tim Ellis. Tim is Tim's uh, a great man. You know, Tim is up in his mid-80s. He's been a real estate broker uh, since I was four months old. He started his brokerage in when, when I was four months old, so he's been doing it for a long time. And hundred uh, years, yeah, not quite. And uh, he and I have he have, he and I have done a lot of transactions together, and I really consider him a, a very very close friend and a mentor. And we've done a lot of projects together. And the first thing we do when we sit down after we've uh, looked at a project, the first thing he does is gets out his little pad of paper out of his pocket and a pen, and he says, "Jimmy Dean, who's our buyer for this?" That's the first thing he starts thinking about is who's our buyer? What and and he's not thinking about a person. Yeah, he's yeah. thinking about who's the target? Who is our target? Every time, every I love time. it. Yeah, and that's what we do. If you can solve that riddle, the rest of it falls into place, right? Yep. That's the hard thing. Yep. It's uh, it's what we do. That's that's the day in the life of an auctioneer. Who's our buyer? What's our problem to solve? And we don't always know. Unless that person is sitting there with their hand up in front of us, we don't know who the buyer is. But to find those targets, it's a shotgun approach. So it could be another school. It could be a daycare. It could be dry storage. It could be an office complex. Then we've got to find out who's in that area operating office complexes. Who's an investor that has some of those? Who are investors or owners of daycare facilities? And we have to hit them saying, would you like a bigger space? Have you ever thought about moving? Uh, who, who's got the other schools that's looking for a different place, uh, maybe to expand or double their capacity? So once we do what Jimmy just said and, and uh, what Mr. Ellis does is we identify those targets, then you got to figure out how to reach those targets. Yeah. And you got to send a message to them that has some indication a little bit of an enticement in there that this property is not being listed retail on the market. It's being sold in an auction. Yeah. Now that's contrary to what we talked about earlier, because there is a con conversation in there where an auction can produce an opportunity. It affords a different opportunity when it's a cash sale, you know, it's, it's subject to you're buying it as is we'll disclose everything we know, but we're doing this for cash and uh, you can save some money. And, and it's, you can save some money, but it's important to our seller here that timing is of issue. Timing is an issue. He don't want to go into winter with this project. So it's a, it, there's, there's, there's a win-win for everyone there. That's, that's the good thing. One of the good things. Sorry about that. I was reading something. You was reading? I'm trying. No, we don't. <laughs> I wish this was in Braille. Gotcha. Feel my way through it. There you go. It's a great opportunity. Great world we live, Sean. The uh, The market is hot right now. Hot, hot, hot. And I'll argue that a lot of the real estate being sold today um, is being sold via a competitive market bid, uh, bidding of some sort, realtors are doing it, auctioneers are doing it. Multiple offers are being utilized on properties all, all across the country, and that in itself, a multiple bid approach is an auction. Imagine if you streamline that process, 
You were transparent. Let them know what the bids are. Believe it or not, folks, why auctions work so well, people don't like to be outbid. They don't enjoy being outbid. So when you outbid people, when you're, when you're showing them what the current bid is and they give them a chance to bid $500 more, $1,000 more, more often than not, they will take that opportunity as long as it's financially within their means because they don't like that they're competitive by nature. They don't like to be outbid. I think it's a disservice when you're asking for offers and they don't know what the other offers are. Yep. You're leaving money for that seller on the table, and we've proven that for a thousand years, five hundred years in the auction business. That's exactly right, and uh, y- you know these these realtor asking for the highest bid. Those are a sealed bid auction. Sean, you and I both have worked a lot of sealed bid auctions. There's a lot of projects that work great with a sealed bid auction, but I'll argue that there's a lot of these sealed bid auctions that these uh, highest and best offers are are producing possibly are not the top value they're not the final bid or the final dollar that that buyer would have been willing to bid at say that one more time i'm saying that a lot of these seal bids are these highest and best offers that are coming across the tables of these traditional uh, realtors are not what that bidder would have bid as their highest bid if it had been a transparent auction. That's exactly right. That's exactly I, right. They I, they need a little competition so you can uh, you can get the horse race started. Yeah, yeah. Now, I do have a situation where I'm working with a broker or worth a a, a client. We've trying to get a deal transacted for a, a pretty a pretty nice ranch. And we made an offer, and and he said, Jimmy Dean, he said, um, I told him we needed to get the offer in. And he said, well, he said, um, you know, there's no guarantee that there won't be an offer come before ne- next next Monday. And he said, well, there's not guarantee there won't be an offer before tomorrow. And 10 minutes later, we get a text from the other agent said, uh, we've got a, another offer just came in. So we got together, and we put one together and submitted that offer. The next day, the agent sent back a text to us and said, we're, uh, we're asking for highest and best from both of you. We appreciate your offers, blah, blah, blah. But we're asking for you to give us your highest and best. My customer that uh, Chris is working with, Chris's customer, said, uh, well, I guess they don't know me very well or they wouldn't have expected that wasn't my best offer. <laughs> That's but pretty good. Guess what? He came back with a better offer. But wait, there's more. He came back with a better offer. Back to my point. And did he get it bought? Don't know yet. Tomorrow. That's that's the end of your story? Tomorrow. My, no, the end of my story was he gave more after he said that was my best offer. All but right. when transparency hit, he gave more. And there's and there's the uh, there's the opportunity still laying on the table, you know. When you have um, multiple offers coming in, said, "Yeah, we're going to select one of them." As a matter of fact, we've been doing this for years in the sealed bid auction process. A lot of times, that moves into a second or third round and say, "We're going to take the top tier bidders, the top percentage, the top bidders, maybe a top ten or top five or top twenty percent of bidders." 
that submit a sealed bid, we're going to move them to an exclusive round where it's just them getting to compete against each other, starting at that highest bid. We'll finish this out. And the reason they're doing that is they know that those people trying to buy this property have a competitive nature in them. They're going to bid on that property in a room against other competent bidders trying to buy the property. But maybe only the top two or three of those bidders. That's right. We've been doing that for years. I saw that done 30 years ago. Nothing new. But it ended with the transparency. 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 That's what we're all about, ladies and gentlemen, transparency. I've had my good friend Jimmy Dean Coffee happen to be in the office today. I said, hey, let's uh, let's go in here in the podcast studio and talk about our day. We had a good one. We looked at personal property. We looked at collector cars and firearms and ended up talking about a house that may, uh, that may get listed and sold. Then we went down and we uh, actually are listing that commercial building. We're going to be taking that to auction in the next 30 or 45 days. So it was uh, it was a good day, and I'm glad that Jimmy got to spend it with me. Folks, I'm glad you got to spend this episode with us. Enjoy the podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time inside the sale ring. Thank you for joining us for today's show. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesalering.com now. We appreciate your feedback and encourage you to share the show with other industry pros like yourself. Join us next time as we meet you inside The Sale Ring.